0: Hey, y'all. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Joan, Tracy's aunt. And today on the show, Bad Bunny puts Puerto Rican politics on the world stage. Plus, the marriage of Black and Jewish foods and what brings them together. All right, here's the show. Hey, y'all. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm your guest host, Tracy Hunt. The other day, I was listening to the new Bad Bunny album, Un Verano Senti. And I noticed something kind of amazing. The album only just came out in May, but every song had been streamed hundreds of millions of times. If you do that math, the world has collectively listened to Bad Bunny for 733 years in the past four months alone. It's official. The biggest artist in the world right now comes from Puerto Rico. And when you dig into his music and what he stands for, the island is very close to his heart. Bad Bunny is now on a world tour, but before he left home, he threw three nights of sold-out parties for his people. He also used those nights to bring up some of the biggest political issues facing Puerto Ricans gentrification, power outages, and women and trans rights. He does whatever he wants. (laughs) That's Yarimar Bonilla, a political anthropologist from Puerto Rico.
1: that doesn't have sovereignty and a place that can't choose its destiny that can't do what it wants having sovereignty bodily autonomy uh, the right to speak the language that you want the right to like curse out who you want that's not nothing that is a politics
0: Today, Yadimar and I are digging into Bad Bunny's Puerto Rico, looking at what he stands for and what he wants for the island. And bear with me in this conversation. My Spanish is a work in progress. Rico, bella? So first thing. I want to talk about these three nights of parties that Mr. Bad Bunny had in Puerto Rico. What were these parties exactly? Like what was, you know, what did, that, what, did what did he do?
1: First of all, a party is the right uh he would be happy that you described it as a party because mm-hmm. he said many times this is not a concert, the un party. Mm-hmm. And so I think what he, what he wanted and the way people felt it was like a a fiesta nacional a kind of popular national gathering mm-hmm. so there was a venue that was sold out for 3 nights but there were also public plazas where you know what was happening in the venue was uh, presented on light on large screens mm-hmm. uh, there was also At all sorts of bars and chinchorros, as we call it, Uh, people just had the TVs uh, tuned in because the concert itself was all transmitted live on uh, Puerto Rican television. And so he said he wanted to throw a big party and for everyone in Puerto Rico to be able
0: to attend. Yeah. and, And what moments kind of stood out for you?
1: I think um, just the very beginning, just like when it began, the way he walked out uh, and just, you know, declared, here I am. (laughs) Within the first five minutes, there were so many bleeps (laughs) because, you know, Bad Bunny songs, they have a lot of curse words and a lot of sexual references. Mm -hmm. uh, And so... I think there was a kind of immediate like oh my god this is happening this is on on TV on like very what is usually very conservative you know uh, mainstream local television Mm -hmm. suddenly there were all these curse words uh, but also all this vernacular Mm. you know just the way people speak in in, in everyday language and there were all these different you know racialized bodies uh, and also different representations of femininity and masculinity and the music is also a music, I think, even though Bad Bunny is the number one global streaming mm-hmm. musical artist, there's still people in Puerto Rico who clutch their pearls at reggaeton. <laughs> like, it, it's still a, a kind of not the mainstream music mm-hmm. and not what you're used to seeing on TV. I know that during the show,
0: he said, El de nosotros. My dream is that all those who are present here, who have the genuine desire to live forever in Puerto Rico, can achieve it. And that seems like such a simple thing to want. Why has that dream become so unreachable for so many Puerto Ricans? I I, I I agree with
1: you. It seems so simple and yet it is so out of reach for so many of his generation mm-hmm. who feel like they're with the debt crisis and everything, they can't find jobs or they feel like in order to f- have a fulfilling career, you know, and to, to achieve what they want professionally, they have to leave mm-hmm. or to raise their families. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there is a crisis of schools in Puerto Rico. I, just today I saw the headlines like some mayors want to take over the schools because because the the local government has just abandoned mm. the schools, and there are schools that have been closed for over two years because they were affected by earthquakes and they weren't repaired, mm. and then they were closed during COVID. And so, just giving your kids an education. So I think a lot of people feel like they have to choose between um, their career, their family and living where they want to live and being with yeah, their people. Yeah. And so while Puerto Ricans feel like they can't make their lives there, the government is not working on making Puerto Rico more livable for residents, but instead is trying to attract foreigners to come. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly folks from the U.S. Who, who then don't have to pay taxes when they move to Puerto Rico. And many of these folks are incredibly wealthy and so they don't, they don't need a public education system. Mm-hmm. They don't need public hospitals, mm-hmm. you know. Right. And so So that's the kind of folks that are being attracted to a place where there is decreasing public services and decreasing infrastructure every day.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because people from mainland US have been coming to Puerto Rico claiming these beaches are private property when they build their condos on the beach. And Puerto Ricans have been holding protest on the beaches. They even took away construction materials from one beach after a judge declared that construction illegal. And Just to say the idea of even trying to own a beach just feels like a very American sentiment. Like how do you own ocean and sand, but whatever. (laughs) So how are Puerto Ricans resisting attempts to create what you call in your column, uh, Puerto Rico without Puerto Ricans. Yeah, That
1: phrase of of Puerto Rico without Puerto Ricans, it's a a phrase that came from, I don't know if you remember, in 2019, Uh. when uh, people marched in the streets to get rid of the governor, Mm -hmm. there was a leaked chat between the governor and his friends. And one of the Folks on the chat, he said, "Oh, I've seen the future and it's beautiful. There are no Puerto Ricans. So, <sighs> I, I, and and he's he's never been held accountable for that. So, wait, we can the only governor guess said that, or when the
0: governor's friends,
1: one of his um, staff members, you know, someone that was someone working, who's working when for the, the Puerto gov- Rican government, right, yeah, yeah uh, said that, and so." You know, people have associated that with the government's efforts to bring, you know, non-Puerto Ricans to live in Puerto mm-hmm. Rico. Like that's the future that they imagine. If you think about a lot of the fantasies when you look at travel brochures, it's always empty beaches. Mm-hmm. It's you know, it's always tapping into this colonial mentality mm-hmm. of like come and conquer this untouched land, yeah, you yeah. know? And Puerto Rican beaches aren't empty. They're full no. of people <laughs> with radios, with food, with big, you know, big pots of rice and <laughs> and then, like, uh, as Puerto Rico gets marketed more and more to outsiders, there's an attempt to uh, create, to turn Puerto Rico into that tourist fantasy mm. of the untouched private beach, you know, the secluded beach. That's what people want, uh, want, and when they arrive, they can't find it. Yeah. <laughs> they find the beaches full of Puerto Ricans. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: So um, we can look at his lyrics and on his song El Apagon, he raps saying, um, Damn it, another blackout. Let's go to the bleachers and light up a blunt before I give people a slap.
1: Puerto Rico is the only place where he has to travel and set up a gazillion generators to be able to have his show because he can't trust the electric company. Mm -hmm. And so the inability to have constant power affects everyone, including him, right? And Mm -hmm. so uh, I think, you know, he talks to us like he's part of our community. So people would be a nickname uh, for It's Pedro Pierluisi, who's the governor. And so he's kind of like, let me go smoke a blunt and chill out so I don't, you know, go wild on this dude.
0: (laughs) You know, reggaeton is historically hyper-masculine. But in Bad Bunny, we have an artist who paints his nails. You know, he, he dressed in drag for his music video, Yo Perio Sola. Is he doing something radical in Puerto Rico?
1: I, yes. I, I, I think now we've c- gotten our heads around it. It's been a couple of years. You know, it is possible for him to do all this gender bending because at the end of the day, he is a straight, light skinned male, yeah. you know? And he has talked about it and he has recognized uh, and has taken on more of an ally mm-hmm. role. You know, and 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 his concert in Puerto Rico, he was very purposeful about bringing all uh, female artists and trans artists Mm -hmm. uh, on stage with him. In addition to bringing the old school reggaeton dudes as well, Um, but I think he's the right person at the right Mm -hmm. time, arriving with this uh, anti-sexist message. Mm -hmm. Uh, He says that machismo is just old-fashioned; it's just like embarrassing. (laughs) He's like, oh. that's just, like, pathetic yeah. and sad for yeah. you. You know, come on now. The, the thing is that he doesn't do it in a kind of didactic, scoldy kind of way. He's just like, oh, that's so passe yeah. to be, like, Straight and boring, and you know, <laughs> He's like, and why would you, why would you limit your outfit choices to the men's department? That's just sad, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I,
0: yeah, he has made um, trans issues like a big part of his platform. As you know, he uh, performed on the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, and he wore a shirt that read "Mataron a Alexa no un hombre con falda," which in English means "They killed Alexa, not a man in a skirt." Why do you think this issue in particular has been so important to him?
1: Well, I think it's important in Puerto Rico. You know, we there was mm-hmm. a crisis of femicides that was declared. And there's, there has been also a crisis of trans violence and, and mm-hmm. you know, a, a real push for people to to recognize that you know and mm-hmm. and then in the case that he referenced at the jimmy fallon show the person who was killed self-identified as a trans woman but the police described them when they were killed as a man wearing women's clothing and so mm-hmm. a lot of people really pushed back on that and so it was really mm-hmm. lovely for him to say no she was you know she wasn't a man in women's clothing she was a woman. Her name was Alexa, and I think it has it has resonated with a lot of young people, both queer, but also straight people who feel constrained by the conservatism of Puerto Rican society. The power structure in Puerto Rico has traditionally been straight and light skinned and conservative. You know, it's a time of of transformation in Puerto Rico. Along with the political transformations and the recovery from all our disasters, mm-hmm. there is also these identitarian struggles that are happening. And I think he speaks to all of that.
0: Yeah. I mean, we were talking about machismo earlier. um, And, you know, as much as he uses his platform to talk about progressive politics, you know, He's at the same time still kind of engaging in some toxic masculinity like his song Soy Pior, um, where he sings, once again, bad translation. I have the white girl that gives me lap dances, the rocker girl who I stick it in with my pants, the dark girl, the blonde girls, the models, da-da-da-da-da. Can he, like, embody the traditional machismo of reggaeton and push those boundaries? Like, can he authentically do both? So I
1: think... The Soy Peor, that was one of his first hits. And he says he's evolved, whatever. But if you look at the current album, <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, let's talk current about the album, current right? album. On the current album, he has the song about Andrea. Four de la mañana, y Andrea de la perla. Which is like a, an amazing song about what it's like to be a beautiful young woman in Puerto Rico, constantly harassed who just wants to live her life. Right. You know, it's such a a, a song from a female perspective that's so beautiful mm-hmm. uh but then, and you also have a song like Yo no soy celoso, where he says i'm not a jealous type but who the hell are you talking to over there <laughs> who's that he goes back and forth he's like i'm not jealous but who's yeah. that I don't want to be machista. uh, And he says, like, bofetón para mí. Like, I'm just going to slap myself. Right. (laughs) You get the sense of someone who's like, this is toxic masculinity and I don't want to do it. Yeah. You know, so he's kind of like dealing with those feelings. I do think... That his songs center women's pleasure, mm-hmm. you know, so it's not just about women being objects of male pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, there is definitely a sexualization of women mm-hmm. and, of, and a celebration still of, you know, traditional femininity also, mm-hmm. you know, it's like... Your 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 beautiful big butt is like <laughs> you know what all the songs about women is never about how smart they are. You know?
0: Never, <laughs> never. Well, we don't write except, about we don't write songs about yeah. smart girls. No, no one does. Well, except
1: Andrea. Andrea, Andrea. He says she's smart like a Tesla. Okay. you know. <laughs> but mostly it's about like how beautiful mm-hmm. and how great she is at, at at oral sex and things like that. You know. <laughs> Sorry, NPR listeners. <laughs> so he challenges uh, machismo while celebrating promiscuity. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and so you
0: know, I was um, talking to a friend about the fact that you know, among Puerto Ricans, everybody call, calls him Benito, and I and I was saying, you know, she was like, "Well, that's his name," and I was like, "Yeah, but it, it sounds like you're talking about your little cousin." <laughs> like <laughs> Whenever you say Benito is like you know your little knucklehead cousin down the street, and I feel like that's part of that like relation, like you know that people feel like warmly enough that he's not bad bunny necessarily. He's Benito, and he does feel like a cousin. Yeah, uh,
1: I had a friend who who said, you know, I just feel I feel like he's just that cousin who made it big and doesn't have time to answer your texts anymore, <laughs> but you're not mad because you know he's busy. <laughs> you know? I love that. I love that. I think a lot of us we feel that familiarity partly because we know his history and we f- we feel like we know him. Mm-hmm. Like people people say to me, they say, Oh, you're a big ba- you're a big fan of Bad Bunny. I'm like, it's not that I'm a fan, it's that I just love him. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just care. I just wish the best you for just, him. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, yeah. And and we love how he represents us, how he's always so proud to be Puerto Rican. We love how he always speaks in Spanish without any embarrassment. Mm-hmm. And when he's asked about it, his his responses are so refreshing cuz he says, you know, gringo artists have done this forever. They travel the world and and speak in English wherever they're interviewed. Yeah. So I travel the world and speak in Spanish right. wherever I'm interviewed and it's like, "Oh, you know, he, like he makes it seem yeah. so so simple." Or sing about different things, like he's still singing about, you know, going shopping at the local mall in Puerto Rico or going to the local beach Mm -hmm. and going to the west side of the island. Um, His lyrics are so rooted in Puerto Rican daily life, and yet they resonate with the world. I think precisely because they're so authentic to a specific
0: experience, Mm -hmm. people seem to like it, even if they're not from Puerto Rico. (laughs) Yadimar, thank you so much. This is such a great conversation. I'm so glad that we got to chat. Thank you. Anytime. Yadimar Bunilla is a political anthropologist and the director of the Center for Puerto Rican Studies at Hunter College. We're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we're exploring kosher soul, the marriage of Black and Jewish foods and what unites them. We'll be right back. All I want to do right now is sit on a beach in Barbados and eat a fried flying fish sandwich. If there's a greater joy to be had in this world, I haven't met it. This is my favorite thing to do when I visit my family in Barbados, and it's not an experience easily replicated anywhere else. First of all, it has to be made by this one lady who sets up her cart at the beach. She fries the fish to order and then tops it with a vinegary, green cabbage, and onion salad, pepper sauce, mayo, and ketchup. And although flying fish is abundant in Caribbean waters, it's mostly only eaten by Bayesians, and you're not gonna find it in most grocery stores up here in New York City. It's sometimes frustrating how food is fixed in a location, a memory, an experience not easily reached. But food also ties you to your history, your heritage, and your family. We are what we eat after all. My next guest, Michael W. Twitty, has deeply researched his food histories and wants us to think more about our own. His latest book is called Kosher Soul.
2: Kosher Soul is about my journey in the world of Jewish peoplehood. But it's also about the food cultures of the African Atlantic and Swiss diasporas in conversation with each other.
0: I talked to Michael about how survival, care and resistance are baked into food and why sharing our knowledge of foods with one another is so important. So I think a lot of people would look at your recipes and call what you do like fusion, like Black-Jewish fusion food. But you don't seem to like that word. You wrote, sometimes two food traditions have nothing to say to each other. Other times they cannot shut up as they make love. What do you think Black food and Jewish food have to say to each other?
2: A lot. It's a lot about migration and exile. I think there's a tendency to think of Jewish as one thing and Black as another thing. And many people in the Jewish diaspora, their relationship with the Americas was negotiated and navigated by the communities of African descent. To be Jewish is constant negotiation with the place we're from, the place we're going. Mm. And to be African-American, to be African-Atlantic is a very similar thing. So if you consider the fact that these two diasporas have been in many of the same places at the same time, Mm. how could they not cook together? How could they not eat together? How could they not have the same ingredients and some of the same leanings and troubles and understandings. Mm-hmm. So unraveling all of that is what coach's soul really is centered in.
0: I mean, so personally for you, how have you brought them together?
2: It's the smells. Mm-hmm. It's the mortar and pestle. There's the hot comb, positioned like a mezuzah, which is what we put on our doors that my mother, grandmother, and great grandmother had. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's encouraging that energy of the cooks that came before me, whether I knew them or not to be in that space and cook with me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm from Barbados, and I'm I'm thinking about um, something called cuckoo, Mm -hmm. which is like fufu. Right, 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 right. (laughs) right. Kind of the same idea. And most people make it with just this thin, long, paddle-looking thing Mm -hmm. to, like, whip it up and everything. And when you were talking in your book about, like, how – and uh, like having a sacred kitchen and the things in your kitchen, like you know, being sacred. I kept thinking of like the cuckoo stick because mm-hmm. it feels like if you have one in your home that identifies you as a Bayesian home.
2: I have a I have a banku stick, which is the same thing.
0: Oh, okay. I have to look that up.
2: And by the way, there were Jews who came in refuge, but also for opportunity, places yeah, where yeah. enslavement was running the show. And mm-hmm. part of the the Jewish food of Curacao. Lo and behold, it's cuckoo and fungi.
0: Oh wow! If you want to imbue your kitchen with sacredness, or your cuckoo stick, or your waffle maker with sacredness, like how would you do that?
2: You know, when I have the hot comb in the in the kitchen, like hung up like a mezuzah, the kitchen was the place where you know our our matriarchs did did their hair. It's the pictures of the ancestors. Yeah, I have an Asafo flag in my kitchen from Ghana, where. Mm-hmm. It, it depicts, like, banku and fufu in the market, but also it's where my mother's recipe is preserved in her hand mm. and where, you know, I teach the younger generation things that I learned. It's a meaning. It's import. It's symbolism.
0: Yeah. You know, um, Jewish food does have a lot of rules. You're right. Like, part of that comes from a desire to be pure and to connect to food traditions that have been passed down for generations, but, like... There's obviously attention tension when it comes to introducing new kinds of food into the Jewish cookbook, so to say, basically how you end up with, like, kosher jerk chicken. Um, what is a rule that you follow with conviction?
2: Well, <laughs> I mean there's 613 so i guess i have a lot i have a lot to follow with conviction
0: 613 if you told me like 100 i would have
2: been like oh, okay yeah that's that 613 blowing my mind a little bit and it's it's, it's all the well, it's all the misvotings all the commandments they're kind of like holistically linked jewish peoplehood isn't really centered in the idea that we all all of us follow the rules all the time it's mm-hmm. more centered in the idea that we understand that there are rules. Yeah. <laughs> but um for me, like Passover, I guess. I'm Machmir of the Machmir on Passover. I'm like, need no joke. I foil down my counters and cover them with plastic and <laughs> blowtorch. Wait, what are you blowtorching? You blowtorch this the stove and the sink. You have to get you have to get rid of every single possible crumb of bread Man. or leavened anything. Mm-hmm. Before you can use that kitchen for pesa. Mm, mm. The, I'm telling you, the feeling of coming down the stairs to see your gleaming kitchen before it gets completely wrecked, making <laughs> making dinner for three days the morning before Passover is the most satisfying thing you'll have. Right. I mean, it's it's like the Jewish equivalent of like the Christmas tree on Christmas uh-huh. morning. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming downstairs and saying, Oh, my gosh, how beautiful, how clean my kitchen looks. The
0: Jewish Christmas tree is a beautiful, clean kitchen.
2: Yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm glad you brought up um, Passover because my next question is about the Seder plate. And you write like this really beautiful description of the kosher soul Seder plate that you use. Can you just for our listeners who are unfamiliar, can you explain what a Seder plate is and how you've designed your kosher soul Seder plate?
2: Um, A cedar plate is the central ritual object on Passover. It tells a story through five to six specific ingredients. So one of which is the hard boiled egg, which symbolizes the spring and the lamb shank, which symbolizes the simple sacrifices and haroset, which is a mixture of fruit, nuts and spice. Mm. Um, And so all these symbols really are part of telling the Passover story. So, this is a symbol of, of, of liberation, exodus, resistance. And so, for me, mine has okra, symbolizing mm-hmm. African heritage. There's the chicken bone instead of the lamb's shank bone because of the relationship between chicken and African Atlantic spiritualities.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: and you can keep going. I mean, you could put bammy on there if you're Jamaican. You could put Lu in there. Could, collard greens on my maroor. You could put Kala Lewis in those if you want to. Salt water. Um, in both traditions, here at Saltwater, the tears of the, the Israelites, and here it's the tears of the enslaved, but also the waters of the Middle Passage. Yeah. But the idea here is that people could be able to see themselves in this very universal narrative. It is meant yeah. to be shared by all people who find themselves oppressed, marginalized, and exiled.
0: Yeah. One of the oldest synagogues in the Western Hemisphere is in Barbados. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was built in the 1650s by Sephardic Jews who were escaping Portuguese persecution in Brazil. And they brought their expertise and sugar to Barbados, which means they made a living enslaving my ancestors. Mm -hmm. And you talk about this like painful complicated history of Black-Jewish relationships in your book. For people who want to learn about this food and cook this food, but don't want to paper over that frankly terrible history, what do you say to them?
2: It's a lot of twists and turns and complications. Mm -hmm. There's also an incredible book called Once We Were Slaves Mm -hmm. by a Jewish scholar that talks about (laughs) basically people who were formerly enslaved in Barbados, Mm -hmm. who were the children of their masters
3: mm-hmm.
2: who were liberated and sent to New York and became basically the patriarchs and matriarchs of one of New York's prominent Jewish families. Mm-hmm. They were mixed blood people of African descent. There were Black people who were enslaved, who were Jewish. We still see Black people with names like Levy and Cohen, mm-hmm. but there were multiple rabbis that lost their jobs and ran out of town because they said slavery was wrong. Mm-hmm. In the, some of the same spaces that you know, had a generation before had supported the slave trade through the membership, like Turo Synagogue in Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. A generation later, these same spaces were being used to harbor people who were running away from enslavement. Mm-hmm. It's a very complex narrative, especially coming from a people where we have the saying, now we were slaves, next year may we be free. But mm-hmm. I also say this, Judaism is interesting in that among all of these faith traditions, there's also the one that makes room for things that are problematic. Mm-hmm. In Judaism, we say we wrestle with God. Do we choose to make the world a better place? We choose to commit acts of tikkun olam or world repair. That's mm-hmm. what's on us. And so I, I really value that.
0: So, you've talked about how food alone won't save us. Mm-mm. You know, just because someone likes Black Southern food doesn't mean that they respect the people making the food. It needs to be deeper.
2: Uh, you know, it's because they want everything to be white doesn't mean they want no black pepper in their food. Right. Uh, <laughs> dude, look, you need some garlic powder, some lorries, you need some adobo, <laughs> all, of um, all of it. All of it. All of it some hot sauce. I mean, all of it.
0: All of it. So on the flip side, how can people connect to history to have that deeper experience when they cook the food of certain cultures?
2: The way in which so many people, they don't understand the issue of appropriation. They go, if, I, if, mm-hmm. I'm, if I'm eating your food, that means I'm crediting you. You ain't doing nothing for me unless you write a reparations checks. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Unless the check is already in the mail, certified, mm-hmm. signed, sealed, delivered like Stephen Wonder on, on Obama's election night. It ain't it ain't going nowhere. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about actual real conversation. Those conversations, those allyships, that hard work that led to aspects of our liberation and ongoing liberation mm-hmm. now were built on people saying, Hey, I want to talk to you. Mm-hmm. That's how it works. It's not just, you know, big men and big women and big places that make great pronouncements and lead the people. It's everyday people like you and me who decide to break down those walls and say, all right, I'm tired of feeling so isolated and vulnerable. We have Mm -hmm. to work together as a community. And it doesn't always work. We know it doesn't always work, but by God, we live in a better world because somebody made the decision to say, let's talk, let's share some bread and let's work through our issues.
0: Yeah. You know, something that resonates with you is legacy. Um, what kind of food legacy do you hope to
2: leave behind? I, I guess I want to leave behind a conversation. You know, I would, would love to do a folk school. Folk schools taught everything from nonviolent resistance to some of the folk culture and storytelling and music. And I want to do the same for food and growing things and and using those things as a means of resistance.
0: Well, how would we use these things as means of resistance?
2: I mean, the very fact that you and I said cuckoo and fungi means that somebody in heaven is laughing.
0: Yeah. Because the <laughs> book
2: didn't get all of it. The resistance is real. We're living it.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: We're also telling our stories on our own terms. That's resistance. Mm-hmm. When we make our food, we, we tell the story of the food got there. We're repeating our history. Being able to know your own history and tell your own story and pass it on to the next generation, but also affirm that this is who you are. This is who I am. And this is the ground Mm -hmm. on which we stand and the shoulders we stand on. Yeah. That's where it starts. Now, where it goes to is decolonizing the diet. But we should never take for granted our storytelling, our resistance against amnesia. Mm. Mm -hmm. Because once you know that you ain't got no excuse, once you know that it doesn't have to be this way, once you know that it could have gone down a whole different way, there's a different kind of anger that comes from that a different kind of spirit of okay I'm ready I'm I'm ready to fight now.
0: Thank you so much Michael. It was really great talking to you.
2: Thank you my sister. I appreciate you.
0: Thanks again to Michael W. Twitty. His new book, Kosher Soul, is out now. Up next, who said that? With my group chat. Stick around. We're back, and I'm here with Alana Casanova Burgess. She's a producer and the host of La Brega from WNYC's and Futuro Studios. Hello, hello. And Rebecca Ibarra, host and producer of The Refresh from Insider.
3: Hi, Tracy. Hi, Alana.
0: And I'm so excited because not only are these women fantastic journalists and radio makers, they're also, of my closest friends. It's the group chat come to life. Whenever I feel like I haven't gotten enough attention in my life, I will open up the group chat and just start making a voice memo. And then you guys pay attention to me and it's great. Listeners, the record is eight minutes. Uh, no, a, no, no, 10, 10, 10, 10. It's 10. Oh. We've had a 10-minute voice mind. memo. I stand corrected. <laughs> uh, and it and I believe it was from me. Yep. I think that's accurate. That's accurate. <laughs> it was delightful. Nobody wants to hear about this. <laughs> no one wants to hear about this. But but okay, we're super close, we're buddies, we're chismosas, but are you too willing to set all that aside and compete? Absolutely. Bring it. So, we're here to play a game called Who said that? Who said that? Who said that? Who said that? Okay, here are the rules. I'll share a quote you might have heard in the news this week, and you have to guess who said that or what it's about. There are no buzzers. Just yell out the answer. There are zero prizes, just bragging rights, and the title of queen of the group chat. What? Please be aware I will clown you if you get zero points. (laughs) Sorry, you didn't tell me that before I said yes. You're hearing it now. Okay. For this one, you can tell me who said this or who it's about. Got it. Blank is the son I've never had. He's a charming boy who's finding his way. What? This sounds like something Matt
3: Gates would say in a very creepy way, but it's probably not Matt Gates. No, it's not Matt Gaetz. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay. um, the person who said this is a very close personal friend to Snoop Dogg. Oh, oh Martha. Martha. Stewart. (laughs) (laughs) Alana, you get it. Okay. Yes. Yes. So that was Martha Stewart. Apparently, last Friday, the Daily Mail asked her if she was going to be Pete Davidson's new girlfriend, because there was a picture of them floating around holding hands at the White House correspondence. Oh, my God. Amazing. And she basically said she finds him delightful. So in my book, she didn't deny that she is not dating Pete Davidson.
3: He's going to have such good meals. I'm jealous.
0: (laughs) This is like a meme. Well, I think... Well, Pete Davidson is definitely a meme boyfriend at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he's just dating all these amazing women. And I mean, obviously, why wouldn't Martha Stewart snatch him up? um, She can. She will.
3: She has. Maybe. You heard it here first.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. So number two. Okay. You have to tell me who said this one. All right? Okay. Okay. No, you can't just let it flow. The crew is... You know, you're not on your own in a hotel room. You're being hounded by a bunch of blokes, carrying things. I don't know who the actor was, but maybe he had an intimacy coordinator accidentally <laughs> at home.
3: I need a hint. I'm terrible at this game.
0: A major clue is the fact that this person said blokes. Yeah, so yeah, So this yeah. is a British person. I'll give you a hint. She's a dame. Dame Judi Dench? No. Nope. Ellen Mirren? <laughs> I'll give you one more hint. She played a nurse, a homeless woman, and an angel in an HBO miniseries. Oh,
3: man.
0: Rebecca, I really thought you would get
3: this. Angels in America. I know. I I know. But I'm completely
0: blanking on her name. Sorry, Rebecca. It's Emma Thompson. (gasps) Oh, my God. (laughs) I love Rebecca. You were just like, I know it. I just... Yeah.
3: I was picturing her haircut, you know, that short blonde bob. Mm -hmm.
0: Yes. So that's Emma Thompson. She was responding to actor Sean Beam, who last week said that having intimacy coordinators spoil the spontaneity of scripted sex scenes. Does he know the option? There's an option to just not say anything. (laughs) There is an option to not just say anything. Yeah. I did read that quote last week, and it was so distressing to think about him like letting it flow in a work environment because... They're workers, not lovers.
3: He's like, listen, let's just wing it. <laughs> who knows? Who knows what'll happen? That's part of the excitement. Like, no,
0: <laughs> no. All right. Okay. So this is a two-parter. It's worth two points. First, someone needs to fill in the blank, and then and tell me who said it. It's like an
3: algebra question.
0: After much thought, we're saddened to share that we have separated and will begin the process of divorcing. To the Blank family and Netflix, thank you for this unforgettable oh my opportunity God. and support. Love is blind. Love is blind. And who's talking? Oh, the two people. I Didn't I literally just put this in the group chat? I know. This is why this is hilarious.
3: I never know the names of the couple of Love Is Blind, but she is oh adorable. God. She's, she's pint-sized and he's mega-tall. So teeny. Honestly, she's better than him. Oh, right. <laughs> oh my god, one hundred percent.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So um, Alana gets
3: one point. I get zero. It's fine. You don't want. You don't want to. Oh no! I one hundred percent don't know their names.
0: You don't. <laughs> Just okay, so this. yes, we're talking about, <laughs> I know this was just in the group chat. I'm so disappointed in you two. <laughs> Before this, I Googled gossip to be ready for this segment. You Googled gossip? <laughs>
3: I don't know if anyone noticed, but I didn't study. So,
0: uh. <laughs> All right. That's Ayanna McNeely announcing that she and Jarrett Jones are getting divorced. The two got together through Netflix's show, Love is Blind. I'm a little bummed because I was rooting for them. I thought they were a cute couple. Yeah, Yeah. I was just rooting for her. Just for her.
3: I was just rooting for her. No (laughs) offense to Jarrett.
0: Well, in the sense that I was rooting for her and she wanted, seemed to want Jarrett, then yes. So I'm a little bummed. But, Mm -hmm. you know, what do you expect? These things happen. Par for the course. Mm -hmm. Don't I know it. (laughs) All right. So, Alana, you won. Yes. You know what? Losing
3: has never felt so delightful. So I'm going to go ahead and pat myself in the back for that as well.
0: Thank you guys so much for doing this with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Tracy. Oh, uh, thank you. You've been so great on this show. Thanks, Alana. This episode was produced by Barton Girdwood, Andrea Gutierrez, Liam McBain, and Jessica Mendoza. Our intern is Ejianeta Aragon. And I want to pause for a moment to shout out Ejianeta. This is their last week with us as an intern. Ejianeta, you have been a vital member of our team and we will really, really miss you. Engineering support came from Andy Huther and Kwesi Lee. We had fact-checking help from Sarah Knight. Our supervising editor is Jessica Placzek. Our executive producer is Marilyn Williams. And Anya Grunman is NPR's Senior Vice President of Programming. And listeners, this is my last week as your guest host. Hosting this show has been a highlight in my professional life. This team is amazing, and I loved hanging out with all of you these last three weeks. But I leave you in good hands. Joining the show in the coming weeks are two co-hosts you're already familiar with. Elise Hugh, who last hosted the show in June, and Andrea Gutierrez, one of the producers of It's Been a Minute. Thank you all for listening. I'm Tracy Hunt. Take care.